Good to see all of you this morning. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. Grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Luke, chapter 5. We spent some time last week talking about the Gospel, the need for the church to be unashamed of the Gospel. And this week, as we just sang, we want to know Christ. Do you really want to know Him? Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Him to hear the Word of God, He was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word. I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Lord God, we would see Jesus. Help us to see our Lord clearly through this account from His life. May we see what it means for us today. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. When I was young, my dad would take my sister and I to Lost Lake. Just a a little lake outside of uh, Fresno, we'd go out there to go fishing. And my dad, he'd usually be the ones who threw the lines in the water for us. I was usually off doing other stuff, uh, digging and exploring. And I don't ever remember catching anything at Lost Lake. We may have, I just can't remember it, don't remember it, but I don't, I don't remember catching anything. Fishing is a non-threatening activity, unless I guess you're going for like a shark or something, right? And here's the thing, I never remember my dad anxiously loading up the car with the the tackle and with the fishing gear, just going, man, I, I sure hope the fish like our baits, I sure hope the fish like our lure, oh man, I... Just, I sure hope. 
Never once do I remember my dad doing that. I don't know, maybe some other people are like that. Maybe you're like that, I don't know. But uh, chances are, when, when you're loading up the stuff, it's like you're going out to go fishing. And you're not just sitting there anxious like, yeah, are the fish, are, man, I just, I, usually when you go fishing, you go to relax, right? Just throw the line in the water and just kick back and, and have a good time. And hopefully you catch something. When Jesus invites someone to go fishing, a couple of reactions can occur. Maybe they make an excuse as to why they can't go fishing with Jesus. Or maybe, maybe we just get uptight about the whole thing. And we do get anxious. And we start wondering, man, are the, are the fish going to like what I have to say? Are the fish, are they, are they going, I mean, you know, it's the gospel and, you know, I, I don't want to offend anybody. It just, you know, here we see in Luke chapter 5, Jesus invites disciples to go fishing with him. What does that even mean? What does it mean to go fishing with Jesus and, and why would we want to do it? Here in Luke 5, we have an occasion when the disciples went fishing with Jesus. And it begins with Jesus holding kind of an impromptu gospel meeting of sorts and, and making a, a makeshift stage, shall we call it that? By earthly standards, Jesus has a thriving ministry. Everybody would want to hear his seminar on church growth principles at this point. There are crowds, and they are a multitude of people are just they are pressing in around him. There's just a lot of people are following him, and they are following him everywhere, and they are desiring to hear from him. They are desiring to hear the word of God. He's already filled synagogues uh, back in the previous verse, the verse that leads up to this. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea, and uh, lots of people. A crowd are, are, are gathered now on this occasion here in Luke chapter 5. And, and he overflowed the beach so much that he has to employ a couple of fishing boats to make this stage. And notice a couple of things before we get too far. The substance of Christ's preaching. He is preaching to them the Word of God. The Word from God. That is what is found on the lips of Jesus and let me just say right here, as those who follow Jesus, when we tell people about Jesus, it ought to be the Word of God they hear from us, if we would truly follow Him. Jesus was not preaching urban legends. He wasn't telling just kind of quaint little stories or clever little quotations. He was telling them the Word of God. That was the substance. And notice the success. Again, the people, they pressed about Him in order to hear the Word of God. It's the preacher's dream. It's the church's dream. To, to have so many people crowding in, right? A, a crowd, a multitude of people gathering to hear. They are earnest. They are eager. There's urgency involved in the interest and excitement that's kind of a buzz in the air. The disciples here, the fishermen, as they're styled in verse 2, they'd, 
They'd gone out, and now they're washing their nets. Peter and his fishing company. They fished all night. They've been unsuccessful. No luck. And after each trip, what would be required in that context, the, the nets would have to be checked for any breaks. They'd have to be mended if there were breaks. They'd have to be washed, cleaned for the next trip out. And here Jesus, he stepped into one of the boats, verse 3. Kind of uninvited, right? Uh, Jesus just, he gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's. You know him as Peter. And he asks Peter to put out a little from the land. Let's, let's go out just a little bit into the water. And when they reached the desired location, he sat down and he taught people from the boat. Sitting down, that was the proper position of the teacher in their day. We do it standing up usually. In their day, he would sit down. The teacher would sit down. And he taught the multitudes. He taught the people from the boat. And so, again, just an improvised gospel meeting of sorts. It's kind of how we would think about it, I suppose. And it's from this makeshift stage, which is Peter's boat. Peter has been out all night fishing. He's going to say that here in verse 5. He's been out all night, worked all night, and now his boat has been commandeered by this itinerant preacher. And the day is passing. How long did Jesus preach? We don't know. Probably was a bit longer. Attention spans quite longer back then than they are now. But the lolling of the boat, the rising of the sun, the heat of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if Peter at some point during the sermon, maybe he dozed off a little bit, trying to catch up on the sleep that he lost overnight. But at some point, verse 4, Jesus finished speaking. And now notice that the whole story shifts as Jesus tells Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I can only imagine what's going on in Peter's mind, right? Listen, uh, Jesus is it? Look, uh, I know fishing, you know preaching, you stick to preaching, I'll stick to fishing, okay? I mean, that's, that's how it goes, right? That's kind of how the exchange takes place. Jesus says, let's go fishing, and Peter says, time out, master. <laughs> master, we toiled all night, we took nothing. Wait a minute, What? And then, well, okay, I'll indulge you. Nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, here's the obedience, obedience to the master. When they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They had to call another boat over, their partners, to come over to help, uh, to, to help them out with the catch. And by the way, this large number of fish, the nets were breaking. When I read this, I think about that scene. <laughs> I think about the scene in Finding Nemo. When the, the, the fish, the nets are coming up, and the fish are caught in the nets, and, and they have to swim down, and, and Dory's singing, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. All these fish are swimming down, right? And, the, and it finally breaks the arm on the, on the boat. Anyone see Finding Nemo? Anyway. That's what I think about here. These, these fish, 
just so many in the nets, and then they filled both boats, and the boats, they began to sink. They've never caught so many fish. And now up to this point, this has been a miraculous demonstration that Jesus is exactly who he's been claiming to be. Then when he says about the prophecy from Isaiah, these words are fulfilled in your presence today, back it up, Jesus, miraculous catch. He is the master over his creation. Even the fish obey. And they are not just biting, they're jumping into the boat. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. And he said to Jesus, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord! There's a lot that's going on here. First of all, notice the change in the terminology. Formerly it was master. That was kind of a general term. Like sir. Uh, Sir, we toiled all night and didn't catch anything. Now it's different. Now it's Lord. Now, and, and, and that is a term which is rich. It's a rich theological term. Lord was the word that was used in the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures to translate the tetragrammaton, which is the proper name of God, Yahweh. And that Hebrew term Yahweh was translated into Greek with the term kurios, or our English, Lord. Lord. Oh, Lord. And you hear it. It's, it's, a, it's a woeful tone. Oh, Lord. This is when we covered Isaiah 6 a few weeks ago. This is, this is Isaiah's moment of being undone. Peter is experiencing this. Get away from me. I'm sinful. Peter is recognizing Jesus of Nazareth, who's standing in his his boat, he is holy. I'm sinful. By the way, this is the typical response for the creature who is impressed when he stands in the holy presence of his creator. This is is when, when Abraham is pleading for Sodom. And he says, who am I to even talk with you, Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. So much shadows and dust. Again, it's Isaiah's moment. Woe is me! I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. And here's Peter, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And he collapses at Jesus' feet. He fell down at his knees. This is the typical reaction when, when, again, the creatures come into the holy presence of their Creator. Ezekiel does it in Ezekiel 1 and verse 28. When he saw the likeness of the glory of the God of Israel, he fell down. This is Daniel when he comes into the presence of God and, and he falls down and as though he's dead. This is the typical reaction of people when they come into the holy presence of God. They... they, they pass out. They lose control of bodily function. Then their weeks, their, their legs grow weak and they, they fall down. And that's what Peter does here. Why? And why now for Peter? Because Peter, he's been introduced to this itinerant preacher before. In fact, 
uh, Jesus has been in Simon's house. We know this from chapter 4 and verse 38. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's, entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve him. And then a bunch of other people came. And, and a, 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 a crowd of people came to be healed. And he healed them. Peter has seen the Christ at work. But to this point, it's apparently had no impact on him. Why this reaction now from Peter? She had a response, didn't she? When the mother-in-law, when, when Christ had healed her, he rebuked the fever. I don't know what that sounds like, but I know what a, to, to rebuke something, right? That's, what, that's the same word Jesus, that's used when Jesus calms the storm. Stop! Quit! Hush! What does it sound like to rebuke a fever, right? Is he like right in her face? Like, get out of here, you fever, right? You ever think about that, right? He rebuked the fever. But even then, there wasn't, there wasn't this, this fierce reaction on Peter's part where he falls down and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Why now? And I think about this and I think about, well, yeah, why is it that people even today, why is it that people today are lukewarm? How does a person get to a place where God's Word no longer touches their heart? Even those who profess to be Christians, perhaps. How is it that a, a Christian even, someone who claims to be a Christian, can come to a place where the encouragement of God's people no longer affects their heart? It doesn't move them on toward holiness. How, why is it that, that people go years and hear the same gospel preached to them, and it never makes an impact. Well, certainly on the one hand, it's different for Peter here because it's personal. It is on a, on a personal level. Before, it was his mother-in-law or crowds. It was, just, it was a general thing, and it applied to somebody else. It doesn't apply to me. But now it is personal. This Peter knows fishing he's got his own company as it were and now here is jesus getting into his boat into his very expertise and he's being taken to school about it yeah it it's personal it definitely is when he saw a miraculous haul of fish when it happened he knew it But may I suggest, just go a bit further with this. Why, why now? Why is it different? And it seems as though it's different now, and Peter is having this intense reaction because he acknowledges that he, he is getting a clear vision, perhaps even for the first time in his life, a clear vision of who God is. You know, when we start talking with people in, in a, a, an evangelistic or an outreach context, where do we begin? 
we usually maybe start with, well, do you want to go to heaven? Or maybe we even back up and, and ask, well, uh, do, do you believe that you have sinned? That's not where Jesus starts. Hey, Peter, you want to go to heaven? Follow me. Uh, Peter, do, do you think you're a sinful man? No, that's not the starting place with Jesus. I'm persuaded that Peter probably already, he, he, I'm sure he, whatever that kingdom thing is about, I'm sure he wanted it. And I'm fairly confident that he, like Paul, he acknowledged his own sin. He knew what the law said. And he knew that he did not keep it. He knew that at one point he was alive, but then the commandment came, he sinned and he died. He knew that there were the good things that he wanted to do, the bad things he knew he shouldn't do, and yet he didn't do the good stuff and he did the bad stuff. I am confident that Peter, and I say that because Peter is human just like the rest of us, and every last one of us knows we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so for Peter, what is needful and what is needed for everybody is not who are you, who's God? And who is Jesus? And the intense reaction now is because, again, he recognizes the holiness of God. That Isaiah 6 experience, that, that recognition that God is a holy God, who, who his eyes are too pure to even look upon evil. He is free from all evil. He is light in whom there is no darkness. And that vision of God, it confronts us. And it confronted Peter. And now, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. That is what caused Peter to truly recognize I'm a sinner in need of salvation. It goes on and he says, uh, the text says, verse 9, for he and all who were with him were astonished uh, at the catch of fish uh, and, uh, that they had taken. This is jaw-dropping. This is jaw-dropping moment. That's the idea of astonishment here. They're astonished and blown away. What? By the way, that word astonish, it's, the, it's a term that's only used by Luke in his gospel. They're, just, they're, they're rendered, they're amazed, they're rendered immovable. It's just like, like if I move right now, I'm, I'm going to come undone. I'm, I'm going to fall to pieces. I can't move. That's the astonishment of these guys. And also probably a bit of fear. Holy reverence for being in the presence of God. And so also, uh, verse 10, also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, listen, don't be afraid. That's why I say there was probably fear, holy reverence on their part, because Jesus, why else would Jesus say, don't be afraid? Except that they were afraid. Stop being fearful. They were fearful. Why this holy terror? They know what, what the law says. They know Exodus 33 and verse 20, where if you see the face of God, you die. And so maybe they're thinking, uh, is it going to happen now? Am I, I going to drop dead right now? And so Jesus says, oh, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. 
This is the call of Christ, and it's, it's, an, it's accepted. Verse 11, when they brought their boats to land, they're not, they don't stop to mend, check the nets, clean them, none of that. They left everything and followed him. They left the boats. They left the bait. They left the cargo. They left the fish. And when they left everything, that means they also left all those fish. They left it. They left everything. And they followed him. They left the greatest catch that they had ever seen. Left it all behind. Because when you have experienced the holy presence of God and, and that has so impressed you, there is nothing in this world that you want more than that. These are the new desires and the new affections that are brought about by the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. It's God the Holy Spirit who produces those new affections, those new desires that are contrary to the flesh. What would the flesh want to do in that situation? I'm going to take all these in. I'm going to to make some serious coin with this fish, right? But now there's these new desires to follow Christ, and so I, I don't even want that. And they leave it all there at the shore. From now on, you will catch people. And the idea there of catching, it is a a present tense thing. It's a continuous thing. It's what you are going to continue to do as long as you follow me. It's going to be the habitual practice. It is the habitual practice of disciples. To be a disciple in the truest sense is to go fishing with Jesus. And that is to go and catch people. We sang the song just a few minutes ago, I want to know Christ. And why we started off asking, do you really want to know Him? Because to know Christ, the Holy Son of God, is to be impressed with the fact that we are but shadows and dust, that we are a people of unclean lips, we live among a people of unclean lips. It's an acknowledgement that more often than I like to admit in mixed company, I fall short of the glory of God. But if you really want to know Him, and you've had that moment where you recognize your deep need for Christ because of your own sinfulness, when you get to that place, I want you to see Jesus did not depart from Jesus. Jesus did not depart from Peter. He drew near to Peter. And he called Peter and he commissioned Peter. And he said, follow me. When we get to that place where we acknowledge our deep need and we, and we even perhaps from the depths of our heart cry, depart from me. Jesus does not leave us there. But he comes near, draws near, encourages us, calls us, and commissions us to go fishing with him every day of our life. This is step one. We talked last week about the gospel. We need that component. But step one, if we would actually go fishing with Jesus, is to realize our own creatureliness. 
And when we acknowledge our own creatureliness, I believe a marvelous transformation takes place. Where when we acknowledge that, we come to realize that I'm, I'm not really the one holding the boat together. I'm not. That when it comes to catching people, and when I go with Christ and I'm a co-worker, I'm a co-laborer with Him, my obligation is a clear and faithful proclamation of the gospel, a telling forth of the gospel. And that when it comes to actually changing people, that's his department. And he is faithful in that, and he will do that. All I need to do is be faithful in telling the gospel, in telling the good news that God has sent his son into the world to die on a cross for sinners. And then God, God will work in our efforts in order to bring about real change in people's hearts. God the Holy Spirit will apply the work of Christ to an individual's heart. We, that's God's department. We, again, must be faithful in giving a clear telling forth of the gospel. Jesus is inviting each one of us to do just that. To go out and to go fishing with Him. Again, that's why I ask, do you really want to know Him? Because to know Him is to follow Him. And to follow Him is to, well, go fishing and to catch people with Him. That is the question. Let us pray. Lord God, you are so holy. And we acknowledge your holiness. And once again, we are confronted with our own fallenness and our own creatureliness. We think sometimes that it's, it's all about us. It's all about us saying the right things in the right order and, and somehow we'll be the ones who unlock the door of salvation. But God, it's, it's all about you. And you are the one who is truly sovereign over all things. So we pray that we would be faithful in telling others the gospel, in sharing the good news with other people, that we would plant and that we would water, but that you, Father, you would give the increase. We trust you for that. We pray all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen.